Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 15 of Super Entertainment Presents the Television Crossover Universe on the Grand Gignol Network. Coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me from Studio B is James Boyachuk, CEO of 18th Wall Productions. From Studio C, Chris Nigro, author and founder of Wild Hunt Press. And from Studio I, Crazy Ivan Sabosky, convention panelist and lover of cheese. And I am Robert Ivronsky Jr., author of the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia. We are the TVCU crew. The TVCU crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots through official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality that we call the television crossover universe. So welcome to all three of you from Parts Unknown. Thanks. So um, time for our, our shameless plugging. Um, Chris, we'll start with you. What do you got? Well, I'm going to say once again that I'm in the process of renovating the Godzilla Saga website. Um, updated glossary with a bunch of pics added, new entries, some expanded entries, and it is going to be the bomb. All right. And James, how about you? Well, just a few days ago, the Speckled Band, the latest in our Sherlock Holmes series, released, and it's doing very well so far. Definitely get on this bandwagon while you still have the chance before it goes careening off that cliff, as bandwagons tend to do. <laughs> it is the secret history of one of the most famous Sherlock Holmes stories, The Adventure of the Speckled Band. And don't you just want to find out just where the leopard and the monkey came from that wander in English manners grounds? And that's all I have for right now. Nice. And Ivan, how about you? What do you got? I've got a leopard and a monkey. <laughs> Uh-huh. And I'm not telling where they came from. <laughs> they, they escaped from a zoo. <laughs> you weren't supposed to tell. Oops. Great. Right. Well, now I've got nothing. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I just wait to snake my way into that mystery that James is talking about in his book. I also have nothing, really. Um, well, I've been writing and writing and writing, but, you know... Nothing, nothing new to plug other than, you know, listen to the previous 14 episodes and uh, the same stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm writing and writing and writing so that I can have more stuff to plug in the future. Um, I did want to briefly talk about um, um, if you um, read some of my posts I, or heard our last episode, I had announced that our guest tonight would be Jess Thomas Cook, um, who is a filmmaker. Um, he wasn't able to come on the show because he unexpectedly was uh, filming, uh, which is his job. So um, we wish him the best. What? And a filmmaker making films? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so um, How rude. So, Putting a high-paying job over us? Yeah, exactly. He chose money over 
<laughs> so you know he, he that's it i'm leaving he he has rescheduled he'll be on in about six weeks from now um and we look forward to having him up back um on then um so instead um we've decided to um start a discussion and we don't know how long how far we're going to get into it but we're going to discuss tonight um the history of shared cinematic universes um we'll at least get through universal horror um tonight probably um we'll see how it goes um this is our first guestless show um where we just do the discussion um and if we get good reviews on it we'll probably do a lot more discussions um, and if we don't, we'll probably still do it because, you know, <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> We're just gonna because do- <laughs> sometimes we just don't have a guest. Sometimes we don't have a guest and we just want to talk about crossovers. Um, so we're going to go to commercial. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be very in-depthly talking about universal horror. And we'll be right back. All right. We are back. And... Uh, so I wanted to start off this discussion. Um, so I wanted to start talking uh, with Universal Horror. Um, that seems to be the first shared reality um, in in cinema. In cinema. Um, so I want to start off by talking um, about Batman v Superman. Now bear with me. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> There's, there, it's relevant. Um, so I was reflecting on... Um, how Dracula and Frankenstein are um, go together so much nowadays that a lot of people don't even think of them as crossovers, um, though you know they came out in in separate books by different authors, um, decades apart from each other. Um, you know, if it wasn't for um, Universal, um, people people wouldn't necessarily have ever thought of the two characters. You know being together the two series being together um and it came down to money um and i was thinking of that because batman and superman um it doesn't make sense that it took so long to get them in a movie together um when you know they've been you know most people don't even think of them as a crossover otherwise you know because they've been together since the 1950s now in the first decade of their time they were separate series that like never very or very seldom, you know, touched each other. But, um, you know, afterwards. So, so the, the point, the point of that was that Dracula and Frankenstein, um, if not for universal, uh, wouldn't be like, you know, the horrors version of the world's finest. That makes sense. Although personally, I would think it's, you know, vampires and werewolves that would be the horror version of the world's finest because you see the vampire-werewolf combination in so many movies. Right. And, 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 you know, that's another interesting thing about what Universal did is um, they invented werewolf lore as we know it today with the Wolfman um, because they made up most of the stuff in that that movie. Um, And most people today um, assume that it's... um, you know, well, real, a lot of real it they Eastern from similar legends, right? But but like the American Manitoba and uh, Wendigo, they borrowed from those to come up with the the whole curse aspect of lycanthropy. Right, right, right. Uh, but a lot right. of, a lot of people think it's um, all Eastern European lore that um, you know 
that's really really was the invention of uh, universal. And weren't vampirism and lycanthropy interconnected back to the folklore, Ivan, like a world's finest kind of thing going way back in history? Oh, very much. I mean, the Greeks didn't even really distinguish between vampires and werewolves. Their words for both of them were very similar. And it was always believed that if you were a werewolf in life, you would come back as a vampire in death. And wasn't it interesting that when Bram Stoker conceived of Dracula and gave him those cool morphing abilities, a wolf was one of his frequent chosen phenotypes? Well, it's also one of mine. No, I mean, yes, yes, that's very interesting. Yeah, and um, so I, I was thinking, you know, Dra- when Dracula and Frankenstein both came out in 1931, um, there was no actual connection between the two. Um, they 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 came out um, as two separate series. They they weren't they weren't you know they was like oh let's see we we got one horror movie let's get another horror movie based on a classic literature and uh, you know and then they were they were following a theme uh, you know the next one both of them followed up with female counterparts for the next one Bride of Frankenstein Dracula's daughter, um, but it wasn't until you know. They came out with the Wolfman and decided to do a sequel to the Wolfman that we finally got a shared reality from them. You know, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And in- interestingly, we ne- Universal never delivered to us a Frankenstein Dracula mashup, like just a duo mashup, like we're getting with Batman versus Superman. Right. Well, even the duo mashup of Superman v Batman isn't just those two. They're throwing in an awful lot of other DC characters. Right. And it's a shame Universal never did that. I mean, there were plans we've always heard, like the mummy Karis. Am I pronouncing that right, guys? I think so. Karis Karis is good. They were planning on throwing him into the original version of House of Frankenstein, which I believe was called The Devil's Brood. Mm, uh, But that didn't happen. And the only time we really got another monster, th- another universal classic, I should say, thrown into the mix is the brief but memorable cameo of the Invisible Man and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, the last universal monster mashup. Right. All and, that and quite possibly the best. Yes. Yeah. And all that potential unrealized. Now, for me, for me, I I discovered Universal Horror backwards um, through Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein first, um, which is you know the genesis for the horror crossover encyclopedia um, because of you know the the mashup and it, and it was it was clever that um, um, how they combined all three though though of course not the first time. Um, Going back after Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, we got House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, which I always thought were odd titles because it seemed like House of Frankenstein makes it a Frankenstein movie and House of Dracula makes it a Dracula movie. But it combines all three. But really, um, 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 Talbot, the Wolfman, is actually the main character <laughs> of, of both of those. He's the one with the... Um, the biggest part in both of those house movies. Well, the three main monsters, he is the only one with the human side right. that the audiences are expected to relate to. So Right, and he's got despite that... Despite the fact that, you know, Dracula can even be done as a tragic figure. The Frankenstein monster almost always is. 
but Larry Talbot is a human. Now, guys, just as we can maybe consider, and we did consider Frankenstein and Dracula, the universal versions, that is, as Universal's um, answer to DC's world's finest, would that mean Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman are their equivalent of what DC calls their trinity? I would, I would say so. I would say so, and uh, and it's definitely, and it's definitely, you know, House of Frankenstein was the um, was the um, Avengers of its time, you know. Oh yes. So maybe we can, of course, the Avengers movies that was done with the intent of a shared universe. Right. So it builds very differently than the way Universal happened to put their stuff together after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe was the first time that they start. I, it feels like they started off with the intent. Um, though Iron, the first Iron Man film was. Um, Less crossovery um, because they had to see if it was going to make money first. <laughs> but it didn't. But even at the very end of it, they had the intention. They yeah. had Samuel L. Jackson pop up and yeah. mention the Avengers. Yeah. So it didn't happen in the comics that way with the comics version, which is interesting. No, the comics happened the same way Universal did. It was separate things that, after they saw the success of uh, the Justice League. Marvel has decided they had to have their own team books too, and of course, let's face it, Fantastic St- Four. Stanley started crossing over everything like really early on, and it helped that he wrote everything in the beginning at Marvel. Oh, this is true. Yeah, he didn't having a single the- creative team that that helped a lot. Yeah. He didn't invent the crossover in comics, but can we say he perfected it? If- I, I would I would say he opened the door that DC later um, copied. Ironic, ironically, DC and Marvel have been copying off of each other for for years, and then building upon each other's concepts. Because yeah, Justice League of America did appear first, but the characters did not regularly run into each other in the comics outside of that one comic book. But in Marvel, Spider Man would regularly run into Thor flying around when he was swinging around the rooftops in New York City. Right. Yeah, it, but it, even before Justice League, you would still have Superman and Batman meeting often enough that it wasn't considered unusual anymore. And that was because of money too, uh, because in, in 1954 they they needed to reduce the paper count, and they had to, they didn't want to sacrifice either Superman or Batman, so they just combined the stories. So since DC had distinctively different, or that was kind of redundant, distinct editing teams for each of the characters it, it just didn't have that how do I put it, sense of crossover camaraderie that Marvel had like right from the start or almost from the start we had all these in the early days you know 40s and 50s a lot of the comic books at DC made it look like these characters just naturally belonged together whenever they teamed up despite the fact that their books had a very different feel Whereas in Marvel, when they met in the early days, it it was obvious that they were different characters and they had different viewpoints. And, uh, you know, how well did the Avengers originally get along with the Hulk in the comics? Right. About as well as they did in the movie. And, you know, getting that actually, I'm going to use that to segue back to um, to the Universal films. Um, I, I think that's why um, those characters worked so well together was um they all had different origins different storylines but um 
that that chemistry is what put them together. You know, Talbot was a uh, was the enemy of Dracula. You know, um, and Frankenstein monster was being used by Dracula or other scientists. You know, um, but 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 the Wolfman was actually a good guy until he changed. You know, um, and uh, you know, in in House of uh, Dracula, he actually got it cured at the end. Though apparently didn't take <laughs> until Jeff Rovin explained it decades later. Yeah, how 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 was it that Jeff Rovin explained that uh the it's sim- the removed parts simply grew back. Mm. <laughs> it was that simple, wasn't yeah. I? Correct, Ivan. Yes, and it makes sense because a werewolf is supposed to be able to heal from damn near anything. Right, and uh, you know. Because, you know, House of Frankenstein, and, I mean, House of Dracula ended with that happy ending for Talbot, <laughs> you know. And then there he is. Uh, and, you know, getting into um, Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein, even though Abbott and Costello films were not technically linked together, um, except when us crossovers try to link them together. Uh, but from the studio's point of view, they weren't linked together, um, other than the Buck Private films. Um in a way, it still brings in that Abbott and Costello series because um, Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein was the first of Abbott and Costello meeting the monsters, um, which became a trending thing after that. Invisible Man, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and um, The Mummy. The Mummy. And, uh, and on their show, they I did hate, meet the creature. Yes, yeah. I hate to include Claris, the cousin of Claris, but okay, there it was. Yeah, well, it was intended to be, um, you know, you know, capital, capitalizing on the series, you know. Well, it was a parody the way right. I saw it rather than a direct incorporation. Right. I mean, just like the original Mummy film is a completely not part of the same series as the rest of the the Mummy films, you know. Uh, Emot- Emotep's storyline was, was not the same as Karis's storyline. Uh, they can call me a But they're all still yeah. considered to be the same series. They acknowledge each other right. within the context of the movies. Right, exactly. Um, what I liked about Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein um, is that, you know, all the monsters played it straight, but Abbott and Costello played it for laughs. And, uh, you know, looking back on, on Abbott and Costello's history, that's not uncommon, um, especially in their earliest films. Um, there was always a serious storyline going on in their in their films with uh you know some leading man and some you know you know woman and some romantic thing going on uh and then they'd just be there too you know uh doing their their pratfalls and stuff as comic relief and it's in most of their movies they had Abbott and Costello as the comic relief characters that Shakespeare would originally have in the background right but in Abbott and Costello movies, they were in the foreground, and the main storyline was in the background. Right, exactly. Um, so, Rob, could some of these have been considered the first cinematic genre crossovers? Well, absolutely. Um, and and I always thought Freddy versus Jason versus Jay and Silent Bob would have been <laughs> a great, great addition in this tradition. Would have been rad. <laughs> but, um, rad? But, you know, Abbott and Costello and the monsters, it, you know, it wasn't too much of a stretch from from their previous films. Um, 
with what what they had been doing. Um, and Abbott and Costello, um, me, the monsters, technically from the from the studio's point of view, they they weren't all in the same universe. Did huh? What was that, Chris? Did you I lose? You may have lost Chris. Oh, I lost him mid sentence. Oh no! Mid word. That's unfortunate. <laughs> well, he was saying something about their personalities. Yeah, um, you know, and that's speaking of their personalities. That's why crossovers like to think that, um, like myself, like to think that all their characters were the same. Um, especially when you have um, Abbott and Costello meets the Invisible Man was also a follow-up to the Invisible Man films, which included Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. I got cut from the call. Oh, there you are. Yeah, it's a conspiracy, I know. Yeah, so we we answered your question. In and out there. We answered your question that you didn't finish. <laughs> ah, well, what was, since I didn't finish it, what was the answer? Because I didn't hear it. So, are, are, you eating, are you eating something? Not me. Um, me? That, that, that noise was me. Oh, okay. I, I had my mouth in something, but it wasn't food. It was a bag. Oh. I felt cheese. <laughs> I was trying to get the cheese. Okay. So, you know, um, the the cameo at the end of Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein makes it part of the Invisible Man series. Um, and then Abbott and Costello meets the Invisible Man is also part of the Invisible Man series. Um, and yet we're supposed to believe that the, the, the characters played by Abbott and Costello in those two films were not the same characters, despite the fact that they act exactly the same. Um and that's what leads um, people like myself or or Dennis Power to uh, say that they they clearly have to be the same guys. And you know what else Abner just told me Frankenstein did that the previous tr- Trinity mashups with the monsters didn't do? We actually got the monsters together, I mean, at the same time in the same storyline, whereas in, in the two House of films... They weren't part of really, well, they were integrated into a, a single storyline, but they didn't cross over with each other so much as the other characters, if you get my meaning. That's true. They had, they had yeah. Di- yeah, they had different storylines within a larger storyline, um, and it was usually like the criminal or the, ma- the, or the mad scientist. Uh, in, in House of Frankenstein, there was that, that criminal with, this, with the traveling show thing. Um, was kind of like the um, the one who touched a, touched on everybody's story, and then um, in House of Dracula it was the mad scientist and his hunchbacked assistant that was. Uh, I believe it was Doctor Nyman in House of Frankenstein. Yes, yes, yeah, that's it. I couldn't think of his name. And Doctor Edelman was it in House of Dracula? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they were they were like the connector between like three basically three separate stories. And one at a time. We never got the monsters together. I mean, we got Talbot um, defending himself from the Frankenstein monster at the end of House of Dracula, but not in, like, lycanthrope form. I was disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we had previously um, Frankenstein meets the wolf band, though. And that's the only actual battle we got. Okay, we got Dracula go- battling the wolf man and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but it was kind of, I don't know, it was always kind of a wussy battle because Dracula was not up to his full potential, in my opinion. He was running and throwing chairs, and that's about it. One of the reasons for that was Lugosi um, couldn't handle it physically. 
um, it was one of the, one of the reasons that he wasn't cast in the house movies was because he couldn't physically handle it. I wish they would have. I wish they would have got a stuntman for those scenes because it would have been once again rad. Like, like, well, also, like Plan when 9. those movies came out, they were still considered separate franchises. Right. And nobody wants their guy to be the one to lose the fight. Right. It, it's one of the reasons that Freddy versus Jason versus Ash never made it as a movie. Uh, because um, Bruce Campbell insisted that Ash had to win. And uh, Robert Englund was like, eh. <laughs> Which I must say surprises me, because when you have a crossover between two characters from different franchises, but one is considered the good guy definitively, and the other the bad guy, you would expect the good guy to win. That's what happened with King Kong versus Godzilla, if you don't mind me bringing that. King no, Kong that's was, fine. Yeah, yeah, he was the good guy, so to speak, at the time, so he won, and Toho didn't complain that RKO's boy or Universal's boy won. Right, and, and Freddy, versus, Freddy versus Jason versus Ash... Freddy, Freddy and Jason lose in every film, so <laughs> I don't see why well, it would have made a difference. I know that Bruce likes to talk about this as something where he said, okay, I don't even see how this is a real fight. Ash blows away Freddy, Ash blows away Jason. And he says that that was, you know, I don't think he wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that he was interested at that time in his life in doing more Ash. And so he probably made some demands that he knew the studios wouldn't agree to. But now that he's doing Ash again, what do you think, Ivan, are the prospects that we might finally get that Trinity combat on the big screen? On the big screen, zero. How pessimistic. Well, because they've done the reboots of the other two series. Yeah, the other two series have gone into reboots, and Ash, as the current Ash series goes, is only following Evil Dead 2. It's ignoring Army of Darkness and the first Evil Dead. And the directions they're going there are creatively something they want to continue there. Taking Ash back to the movies would take away from the TV show. Uh, there's got to be some way. I mean, it's the only they'd hire us and let us put our heads together, Ivan. Well, if you remember, a couple of years ago, there was an Evil Dead reboot movie. It did not have Ash. Until the end. Right. Well, Bruce Campbell did show up and make a cameo. He did say groovy. Whether or not he was canonically part of the story, uh, I would say no. Right. It seemed like a teaser, and at that time, there was talk that they would do another Ash movie, and then they would do another Maya movie, and then there would be a movie crossed over Ash with Maya. Right. Fell apart. Right. Because it seems like they made that movie very ambivalent to whether it was a sequel or um, a reboot. I'm still hoping... Personally, I loved it. Yeah. I'm still hoping all those fan films are popping up on YouTube what the appetite, you know, of the big guys with the real money and uh, copyrights. <laughs> Wedding the fans' appetite. Okay, mine, but I like to think I'm not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. We're I'm... here with you. You know, in completely separate studios. But, 
Freddy versus Jason for me was was like the um, the Frankenstein meets the Wolfman for 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 like our time period, and I had really hoped that would lead to a slasher like unified f- universe of some sort. And there was talk of that at the time that uh, Robert Robert England was very willing to do more Freddy versus movies. Uh, there was talk of a Freddy versus Chucky, if I remember correctly. I may be wrong. I'm sure somebody out there could tell us, but they can't call in because this show isn't live. Ah. <laughs> we also got Alien versus Predator on the big screen around that time too. That was another Ex- exactly year. one year later. Mm-hmm. To the day, yeah. Of course, the the difference there is that Freddy versus Jason, although it had been alluded to in the movies before, it was still a new thing when we got the movie. When we did Alien vs. Predator as a movie, that had already been going on for years, over a decade, if I remember, in comic books and video games. Yeah. So it was sort of it sort of became its own franchise, sort of. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. it was no longer franchise versus franchise. It was an AVP franchise. Right. AVP was based on the comic, based on the video game, based on the movies. Well, I still thought it interesting, but they didn't seem to follow really any of the ideas that we saw in the comics. They were their own thing, pretty much, the movies. And we got two of them. Very much. Yeah. Right. Well, they had to count on the fact that um, a lot of people going to see the movies probably didn't read the comics. It's also cheaper to have a movie set in modern day instead of having a, an entire new science fiction setting built for it. Right. And I'd still like to see, you know... 20th Century Fox to a triple threat with Prometheus slash Alien slash Predator like they did in the comp, like Dark Horse did for them. I think that would be cool. Minimum of red tape. Mm, the red tape actually gets messy now because Prometheus is part of the Alien franchise, not part of the AVP franchise. Yet Dark and Horse. And Ridley Scott's been very clear that he does not consider AVP to be part of the Alien series. Right. Yet, in yeah. fact, um, yeah. Prometheus is connected to Alien more than it is the entire franchise. Yet yeah, Dark Horse doesn't seem to exactly agree, and they even gave us an engineer against a predator. And I think that well, was- it's easier to do things in comic books. In comic right. books, Marvel and DC can have their guys butt heads. You'll never see that in a movie. Right? You're never going to see Superman versus Spider-Man in a film. Yeah. Not even in a cartoon. No. I will never say never because I, there are so many other things we're getting now that I would have thought was impossible so long ago. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. Actually, I, I, I agree with you, Chris, uh, when it comes to what, what I haven't said about cartoons. I, I, I bet that someday we may see like a JLA Avengers cartoon. Um, but but having um, um, having a live action, um, it's for one thing, the, the stars that they would have, all the people they would have to pay <laughs> would be astronomically expensive. Well, fair warning, Rob. If that happens within our lifetime, I'm going to publicly say to you, "I told you so." And uh, if be, it happens, I'll, I'll be okay with that because I would love it. <laughs> if it happens in my lifetime, I will be glad to say I was wrong. Yeah. Because yes, that would be something impressive, incredible. I think. The uh, the closest I'm ever going to see, though, was that classic episode of Saturday Night Live where Superman was having a party at his apartment <laughs> right. and all these other characters from Marvel and DC came over. 
with uh, John Belushi as the Hulk. Or maybe yes. those, those fan-created um, advertisements for crossover movies. Like JLC. No, there have been fan-created actual <laughs> crossover movies, fan-created, and those are, in some cases, very, very well done. What's those one superhero beatdown, is it, is it that well, um, does yes, the videos? Down. Yeah. Yes, by Bat in the Sun. Yeah, Th- those take, are amazing. Most of those are great. I love when those. You, when you take money and copyright out of, out of, out of uh, the equation, amazing freaking things happen. I could say freaking down here, right? Okay, yeah. sorry. Okay, good. But in fucking almost a, every can. instance, something created by a fan is not going to be considered part of the franchise. True, but it does show us what could possibly be, you know, if they get their heads together and say business and pleasure and coolness can mix sometimes. Yes. And there's fan projects where you have professionals involved with the franchise get involved. Um, but Ernie Hudson has appeared as Winston Zedmore in a Ghostbusters fan film, but that's still not not a call to Ghostbusters. But even in officially licensed stuff, it doesn't always necessarily make it canon. Uh, you know, um, a lot of like Doctor Who novels, you know, if they can get contradicted in the in a you know the sto- the show and. You know, then like, well, it's not <laughs> the books aren't canon. Uh, well, Star, no. Star- Doctor Who is this weird, strange contradiction where everything is literally canon, and if you contradict something as a writer, it's considered bad pool. Yeah, you're not doing your job properly, which is part of the fun. It's yeah. so According to Steve, everything's Moffitt. canon. Everything Ex- is canon except for that. Especially the stuff that contradicts. Except for that, Sherlock Holmes is real and not real. <laughs> Things like that. And, you know, thanks to miscreants like us and, you know, the uh, alternate reality concept, nowadays it could be argued a bit cogently that what counts as canon may depend on who you ask or what timeline you follow. <laughs> well, well, for exence, instance, you know, Star Wars uh, has thrown out all of their expanded universe. Yeah, that- I didn't want to mention the Bantha in the room, but yes, Star Wars used to have everything canonical that wasn't in a movie. And now they don't. Yeah, and yeah. I just I just consider it a, a divergent timeline, um, you know, because so, I want to count everything. It's a reboot. It's a reboot, just like any comic book reboot or right. the Spider-Man movie reboot. It's a reboot, and after the reboot, they choose what is and is not canon. And does that includes Marvel's original Star Wars series is also not canon anymore? No. All of those are no longer canon. So the the seven-foot-tall green rabbit is no longer canon, even though he he has appeared on the cover of one of the new in-canon Star Wars comics. So Splinter in the Mind's Eye is gone. Yes, and that's the one that had Cthulhu. Yeah. Dean Foster wrote Cthulhu into that book. He calls him Pomajima, but it makes sense that on a different planet you have a different name. Maybe Cthulhu is responsible for splitting the timeline. We should think about that. <laughs> Maybe I, you're responsible for splitting the timeline. What about that, Chris? I blame time travelers. And uh, I, I, so I, I haven't seen my branch. Doctor. I haven't seen my branch metaphor where I literally used a branch. <laughs> yes, he actually used a branch from a tree to go over the divergent timeline theory. 
as per Back to the Future. Yeah, it's basically the same as the Back to the Future um, idea. Except, except made of wood instead of chalk. Except that basically when one br- when new branch is created, it doesn't necessarily erase the old branch because you can see on the tree there's two branches. So there's you know two futures that break off from a single point. Uh, which is why um, time travelers can come back from different future timelines to the same past. Um, no, hey, careful no, now. We don't want to turn this into the time travel episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we got to save something. But but that but but that's basically how I I accept because because if all all the different branches are still there and you just can't necessarily see them, um, you know then that, that helps to. When when canon gets rebooted, hey, look what the Teenage yes. Ninja Turtles movie animated movie Turtles Forever did, <laughs> as an example. Right, and Ghostbusters Get Real did the same thing, and then uh, DC versus DC Universe versus Masters of the Universe did the same thing. Did they? I didn't read that one. Yeah, they they showed like an alternate universe, I mean a multiverse where every version of Masters of the Universe exists out there. It happened in the Spider-Verse crossover in Marvel, too, if you think about it. I mean, Spider-Man from Prince. That they did, yes. Yeah, and I mean, it crossed over mediums. We saw the Japanese version of Spider-Man from the TV show producing Japan. Well, it, it literally crossed over mediums because it actually, because um, the Ultimate Spider-Man comic book, I mean, cartoon, was, was uh, traveling through the Spider-Verse at the same time. And it's it's very interesting that mediums were literally very meta. So, yeah. So I mean, anything could potentially run into anything if you think about it. And you know, there's enough red tape remover around. We're red tape removers if you think about it. Speaking of reboots, well, we've had plenty of non-canonical appearances of characters meeting other characters. I mean, how many times do Marvel and DC use each other's characters in background stories? Right. Or as background figures, rather. And let's face it, if we only counted what was officially canon, we wouldn't be doing <laughs> any of this. <laughs> and then there's, then there's the thing about pastiches. Like, you know, we got the Squadron Supreme uh, that in the Marvel multiverse, and yeah. <laughs> and the champions of Angor over there at DC. Yep. I forgot the name. Thank you, Ivan. Yeah. A.K.A. the Justifiers. Justifiers. And uh, speaking of reboots, um, Universal Horror is about to have a reboot. Another one. Yeah. I, I think they just started, they, they're starting with the Dracula one, but they're making it more um, Avengers-like. Uh, uh, yeah. They're all going to be heroic action heroes. Yeah, I'm not sure if I like that idea. I'm gonna give I it don't. A <laughs> no, but no. I'd rather the pure horror element. I mean, you know, it seems like... If you remember the... Uh, the 90s Mummy franchise yeah. that was very successful. It was more action than it was horror. In fact, I wouldn't call it horror at all. Yeah. But uh, they did that, and based on the success, they said, okay, let's do our monster mashup with Van Helsing. And Van Helsing tanked hard. Yeah. Uh, didn't the, the Had that been successful, we probably would have seen a full-blown universal monster franchise right then. Probably would have had... Van Helsing meets the mummy or something. Right. Well, what do you say, Ivan, about the attempt a few years ago to reboot the Wolfman by Universal? Uh, I thought that that was a great movie. 
it was definitely done as a standalone, not, uh, I mean, with the intention of creating a new Wolfman franchise. I thought it was well done. I thought it was too dark for audiences, uh, visually too dark, you know, not too grim or anything, but uh, if you're constantly starting to nod off in the theater because <laughs> there's no light coming from the screen, then maybe your movie needs a little bit of light. Take out some of those filters. And you're not talking metaphorically here. No. You're talking literally incandescently. Yes. And what about... Not, yeah. not being figurative. And what about Dracula Rising that Universal gave us? Is that supposed to be part... I've heard conflicting stories from Universal according to the interviews in the online press. You say Dracula Rising. Are you talking about Dracula Untold? Oh, Okay. Yeah, I, I pulled the yeah. I'm sorry. That's that's the okay. iron. That's the Iron Man of the of the new Universal universe. Not necessarily. Well, that's what I had. When it they heard. released that one, they decided early on that that one was experimental. Mm. And when it did not do well, and it did not do well, uh, they pretty much said that their new Mummy movie is going to be the beginning of the new series. And they would decide at a later time whether that Dracula untold story was going to be part of the same universe or if they'd do yet another version of Dracula. The same so, way that is needed with Spider-Man. So they covered their tracks, basically. Clever. Oh, yes. See, that that's one thing. They that... didn't want to back themselves into a corner where they couldn't get out of it. So it's considered currently as part of a different franchise that they have the option to bring in later if they want. Well, I know Brad Pitt is supposedly down for playing the titular, titular role of the Invisible Man in Universal's reboot. It's supposed to follow the mummy. I had heard Johnny Depp wanted to play the Invisible Man. Who wouldn't want to pay the... All you have to do is the voiceover. Right, You know, right. how much actual acting is involved. That's the easiest gig in Hollywood. Yeah, but wouldn't you have to play the role, you know, the sequences where he's got the, the bandages face and the bathrobe and yeah, you know, <laughs> there is that. Someone's got to do that. Oh, the majority of that will be CGI, I guarantee it. It'd be expensive. Uh, me, I would, if I was a director or producer, I'd go with, you know, <laughs> just a guy wearing a bathrobe and tape and a false, you know, oh yeah, those cool shades, kind of like the ones you wear, Ivan. What was that? I, if I was producer and I was in charge of the budget, yeah, those scenes, most of them at least, I'd go with uh, with the guy with the tape over his face and the bathrobe and the false nose and those cool shades like you wear. And then green screen out any bits of his uh, actual skin that show up? Yeah, I just go CGI when he, during the scenes where he's unraveling the tape. And that's like one, maybe one or two scenes. Well, it depends on how they reboot it. You know, that doesn't mean they're going to do a, a frame-by-frame, frame, <laughs> you know. Um, no, a frame-by-frame frame remake would suck. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure they will, um, you know, do a lot more. <laughs> I wonder how the influence of Hollow Man will affect that reboot. Even though Hollow Man was inspired by the Invisible Man, I'm curious to see if it inspires, you know, the direction that this goes. Well, in the two Hollow Man movies, once he went invisible, he stayed invisible. Yeah, so and that was so they'll they they're either gonna they're either gonna uh, make it more violent, or they're gonna turn the Invisible Man into another action hero, um, and an Invisible Agent. 
<laughs> and Jack Griffin. And let's can, go ahead. Jack Griffin is not supposed to be a good guy. None of the monsters are supposed to be the good guy. That's why they're monsters. Right. If they were heroes, then, you know, they would be heroes. Right. And, and the heroes are supposed to be, you know, the characters fighting them, like the Van Helsing or uh, the the Van Helsing clone we saw in The Mummy who was fighting Imhotep. His name I don't recall. But was he not played by the same guy who portrayed Van Helsing in Dracula? I think he was. Um, no. Um, oh, he wasn't. Brendan, Brendan Fraser. Wait. Oh, yeah, Brendan for- Fraser played the hero of the Imhotep mummy reboot. Uh, and Hugh Jackman played Van Helsing in the fairly recent Van Helsing movie. Unfair, I was talking about the universal version. Oh, you were talking about the uh, the, yeah. the guys who fought the I'm original. Sorry. My mistake, yes. <laughs> My apologies. I humbly accept those apologies. You owe me a cookie, though. Well, you know, if it's done by a studio that has a certain number of people who will act in their horror movies, they're, that's what they're going to use. Look at Hammer. But, uh, but I, I Hammer agree. Hammer used Peter Cushing for everything and Christopher Lee for everything else. But Hammer, for some reason, never wanted to give us crossovers. As much as I love the Hammer oeuvre, I just did not like its lack of crossover. Yeah, that's true. But, um... You know, what I don't like about them making action heroes is, is they're missing the point. Um, you know, you can have the villain be the star. I mean, look at, like, the Freddy franchise, the, the Jason franchise. The villain's the star, but they're still the villain, you know. They, they may be the one who keeps coming back over and over and over again. But they don't, you don't suddenly see Freddy, like, having a change of heart by his fifth film and, like, I've got to save these children. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a little out of character. Honestly, Rob, didn't Tomb of Dracula do a good job of that with their comic? I mean, keeping Dracula the villain? Right. Yeah, other characters be the heroes. They introduced Blade, for example, and why why can't Universal follow suit? Because they, they're, they're looking at Avengers and saying, how can we make money off of exactly. Avengers? They're not looking at yeah, their own franchise. <laughs> <laughs> and saying, how can we make capitalize on that? And now, oh my God, DC's creating a cinematic hero universe, so yeah, I, I get the point there. Maybe if DC would come out with a Lex Luthor movie, or Marvel come out with a Baron Zemo movie or something, or Red Skull movie, maybe then Universal will see it can be done. Yeah. I, Marvel I, could come out with a Thanos movie telling the story of Thanos' rise to being the biggest badass in the multiverse. At least according to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I don't and think that would be will. something to see. I, I, I would it, like that, but I don't it, think it'll happen. Isn't DC bringing us the Suicide Squad movie? That's about villains as the main characters. Yes. Yes. Yes, they are. Yes. And, and uh, there's already a lot of hatred over the brief glimpses we've had of what that movie looks like. Yeah. Specifically, the Joker, but other problems. Of but the thing. Up. But the thing is. Um, the hatred is from like comic book fans. Moviegoers will still like pay lots of money <laughs> to Maybe. see, see the movie. We, it wasn't too long ago that we had a version of the Joker that moviegoers fell in love with. That's true. That's true. And the new Leto version will be so very, very different. 
that might make moviegoers hesitant. See, it's a t- it's a tough thing because they had to um, make a choice. Because if they tried to make it too much like Heath Ledger's Joker, then you know they'd say, "Oh, it's not as good as Heath Ledger's Joker." They're trying to rip it off, but it, they you can't beat that. So it's a lose lose situation, and they really should have just avoided it altogether. There's no reason to put the Joker in the Suicide Squad, really. Right. No. They right. could have saved the Joker for a Batman solo movie. They already promised there were going to be Batman solo movies as part of the cinematic universe. So, But the whole DC universe is built on these mystifying, insane choices that they've made. So, right. Is the Joker really going to be a member of the Suicide Squad or more like what they did in the, in the animated Batman Suicide Squad crossover film? I think he's. I think he's part of Harley's origin into getting into the Suicide Squad. But he it's has been, been really seen unclear. in group shots that suggest oh, maybe he is. he's part of the Suicide Squad. I don't know. He may not be. But now that we've I heard from not. James, it's time to wrap up <laughs> this discussion. <laughs> Thanks for playing, James. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, we 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 are just about out of time. Um, so. We're going to go to a commercial, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to say goodbye. But we didn't even talk about my favorite franchise of vampire versus werewolf movies, oh. Twilight. Well we'll, have to <laughs> well, we'll have to save Twilight for another time. <laughs> Star in the luck. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll be right back after this break. All right, that's all the time we've got for tonight. Uh, join us next week when we'll be talking with Jerry Winsboro, creator of the Natalia Hyde comic book. Uh, before we end, I want to thank our sponsor, Roxon Oil Company. And a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music. Thanks to all who listen. Remember to subscribe to and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 